Law Focus Podcast, bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Law Focus. My name is Melissa Ndiweni and I am not alone. I am with my colleague, attorney. And together we will be your voice of law for the evening right here on VARFM 88.1. So there was an article that was written by Justice Edwin Cameron in 2016, which spoke out of minimum sentences. And some of the details of that article were quite interesting. Yeah. Um, at the time, there were 160,000 inmates. And he, uh, you know, he spoke about how 21 billion rand is spent per year uh, on... On housing inmates and, and so on. Exactly yeah. that. So it's that's... quite an interesting... But it's a long read. Uh, but it's quite an interesting one. It was. I thought the numbers were appalling, but interesting, definitely. And I think that's why we need to talk about minimum sentences uh, in yeah. South Africa. So certain offences will carry a minimum sentence if you are convicted of them. And then the court will apply that minimum sentence under normal circumstances, unless there's a reason to deviate, and which is what we're discussing today. Absolutely. And we're obviously going to have expert opinions. We've got with us Phineas Mukwena. He is a legal practitioner who works at the regional courts in Krugersdorp as well as Professor Stephen Chuson. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Yes, I think that's about right. I think it's Chuson. <laughs> he is a Wits professor and academic and he's dealt extensively. He works at the Wits Clinic and um, criminal law is one of his expertise. So yes, he's yes. definitely going to also delve into this matter. Yeah. Now this wouldn't be a conversation without your input and if you wish to take part in the conversation you can send us a tweet uh, using the hashtag uh, lawfocus at VowFM. Um, you are tuned into Law Focus Vow FM 88.1. Uh, let's stay tuned in for the upcoming discussion on minimum sentencing. But before we get there, let's take a look at the headlines which made uh, the week. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> news this week. That's Our right. legal hotspots. <laughs> Sorry. Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week. Legal hotspots. So in our first story this evening, there has been an uproar in some of the UK sit-in campuses by students of SASCO, the South African Student Congress Organization. And uh, some of the issues that they are raising in their process include academic exclusion, uh, issues of NASFAs, postgraduates who have not received their money for food and funding. And the w- campuses that have been um, reported on thus far include Westville, Durban University of Technology, and the Howard campus. Yeah. And, well, of course, lectures have been disrupted. The violence has resulted in some tear gassing. One student thus far has been arrested. Yeah, let's hope that situation doesn't get too out of hand, hey? Or spread. Yeah. And then in our second story, we've got um, the Army, the South African Defense Force, has been deployed to the Cape Flats in Cape Town. We know that it's a community that is rife with gangsterism and a lot of violence. A very high rate of violence and gun violence in particular. And so they're going to be there for the next three months monitoring the situation. Some people have obviously welcomed them saying we'll probably have less innocent killings because we've got the army here whereas some gang members have said you know what whether the army is here or not still the Popohan dance and it's still going to be like you know business as usual. They actually interestingly have said we are not drug dealers. We are small business owners. How interesting is that? And I'm a legitimate business. Man. I thought it was interesting. That sounds very familiar. And, 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 and they continue to say, uh, we are in cahoots with the police. So nothing really is going to change. Um, I was just counting the number of gangs that are there. If I can just name some of them. Dixie Boys, Funky Junkie, G-Units. I think about seven different gangs in one community. How insane is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the police are inundated. And let's see whether this will help. I, I'm, I'm wondering why it's only a three-month deployment, actually. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. Definitely. The public protector is again in the news today. And it hasn't been a good week. Eh? The Concord delivered a judgment yesterday on her appeal. Uh, against uh, a punitive cost order which was granted against her by the Pretoria High Court some time back. It relates to the South African Reserve Bank and the Bank Corp APSA matter, a report that she made. Um, And the court basically found that she did not have a sound understanding of her constitutional duty and her mandate. She was biased, failing to be impartial and she acted in bad faith. Mm. What the court was polite about was that there were some falsehoods that were presented to her in 
especially with regard to a meeting with Zuma and so on, it can be a very, very, this could have very, very serious consequences for the public protector. The only glimmer of hope that she has is that the dissenting judgment by Justice Mokhweng, Mokhweng and Justice Goliath uh, didn't agree with the cost order, but they were just as scathing in uh, assessing the, the, the com- her companies do the work and, and so on. One of her explanations to the courts which is almost like her shooting herself in the foot was when she said that she was really confused when she was filing very important court, court papers. You know, it's almost like you saying, I'm not sure if I'm fit for this role. I'm not sure if I'm competent enough because you should be able to manage and juggle everything with very sound understanding but unfortunately that was not the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it could have a professional impact on her as well because uh, uh, accountability now an NGO has already written to the legal practice council requesting that she be struck from the role as an advocate that's even worse than just being court. removed as public protector yeah. uh, for lying under oath basically again it's Mr. Uh, Pravin Gordon and the public protector again their matter is in court it's with relation to in the in the Pretoria High Court as well it's in relation to the SARS rogue unit and a finding by the public protector uh, that uh, Gordon acted improperly in that matter it has been a strange form you know a little bit of a strange case because there's been quite a few personal attacks there uh, from the um, recordings that I've heard or from the reports that I've heard the public predictor hasn't opposed as such but has made certain submissions in respect to what Mr. what she calls a personal personal attacks mm. uh, a very interesting style of litigating by Gordon I must say I've taken note of that I'm okay I don't know about the the, the, the merits of it but his style of litigation is awkward and I mean it has included other persons as well the president and the EFF weighing in on the matter yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes. Um, but on the back of this last ruling, whew, I'm nervous. If I, I would be nervous if I was the public protector, eh? Thank goodness you're not. Yeah. Well, you definitely need to stay tuned. Um, we are discussing minimum sentences. Remember, you can tweet us on at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. Keep tuned. We will be back after this break. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFM88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Welcome back to the show Law Focus with Tapo and Millicent. We are discussing minimum sentences and we are now introducing our first guest on the show. His name is Mr. Phineas Mukwena. He is a legal practitioner and he's going to share with us his expertise on the matter. Good evening, Mr. Phineas, and welcome to Law Focus. Good evening, Millicent. Yeah. Good evening, Tapo. Good evening to the listeners. Indeed, I'm Phineas Mukwena coming from Legally South Africa, but I am based at Krugersdorp local office. This is I'm practicing from. I've been in that office from the 1st of July 2007. So I've been in that office for over a period of 12 years. Oh, awesome. Yes, we are defending the voiceless, the defenseless and the poor at Legal Aid. Definitely. Yes. So minimum sentences, how did you get involved with that? Um, Of course, I'm working at the regional court. I'm a regional court legal practitioner. So... um, that is how you get involved because we are dealing there with offenses which are very very serious which actually attract the minimum sentences um here we are talking of offenses such as murder offenses such as rape such as robbery these are the offenses which are attracting minimum sentences so that is how i got involved into dealing with the so-called minimum sentences mm. and there is a legislation which is actually governing these type of sentences well we are happy to have you because you also wrote an interesting legal research paper particularly on this very topic so you are obviously the best person whom we can talk to what is minimum sentences how yeah. should we understand it yes you know, i decided to write an article on this uh, aspect because um you know it is i i've been always asked questions especially by my clients or any uh, ordinary people in the street they will always ask you about what what is this uh, minimum sentences how does it work how does it apply um so that is how i decided to just write a a brief article about it. Um, this uh, minimum sentences, as I've indicated earlier on, is being governed by the uh, Criminal Law Amendment Act of uh, 105 of 1997. 
the legislature uh, felt that it was um, prudent to can actually come up with this uh, legislation in view of the fact that it transpired that um, there are these offenses as I've indicated, your murder, your rape, your robberies, which have been very, very serious and they seem to be escalating and always uh, skyrocketing. So that is when now the legislature felt that no, they have to come up with this um, idea of minimum sentences. So the, the, the main idea, of course, was actually to try to cap the, the, these offences to see if they cannot uh, be reduced. Hence the, the formation or the promulgation of this law, which is now called Criminal Law Amendment Act. And do you think that's working? Um, it did. Indeed, it is working. Uh, I can I can rest assure you. For instance, if you can look at the fact that, uh, let me make an example of a murder case. Um, uh, depending on the facts of each case, uh, the a, a case or an offence may attract a minimum sentence of uh, 15 years um, for a first-time offender, a second-time offender it can be 20 years, then the third-time offender 25 years, and so forth. Um, if the murder has been premeditated in layman's term, we say if it was planned, um, it, it attracts a minimum sentence of life imprisonment. So you can see that to a certain extent, in fact, not to a certain extent, it, it does actually work because it it it, it serves as a deterrent you know, to, to the offenders, to the would offenders, to the community at large. We are actually sending a strong message to the effect that minimum sentences are there. They are actually uh, uh, effective. So I, I really believe and strongly so to the effect that they are really um, uh, working. Now, when we're standing there in front of a, um, a magistrate or a judge, and, and now our client has been convicted, right? Yes. And we say to the, and we say, well, these are the circumstances. Take this into account. Take this into account. Please think about this. We say about and the offence, and we take all these things, and we say, now come up with a sentence. Does the minimum sentence act help when you? are arguing in mitigation for a client or does it hinder does it bind the, the the judge too much when can the judge say okay the minimum sentence doesn't apply okay now this is what happens um in fact i, I omitted to to highlight something the the section which is actually um uh, dealing with this minimum sentence is called section 51 it does called sections uh, section 51 subsection 1 subsection 2 as well as subsection 3 well there are other subsections but most importantly we always deal with these three subsections um as i've indicated let me go back to an an, an, an example of a murder case if a person now has been convicted and he has to be sentenced now for a period of uh, 15 years if let's say he has committed an offense which attracts a minimum sentence of 15 years direct imprisonment yeah. Now, it is upon me uh, as an attorney now from Legally South Africa to can now convince the court to can say that, look, your worship, uh, uh, the, the, this person does not deserve this type of sentence. The, the law applies, uh, or rather, uh, allows me as an attorney to can convince the court otherwise. That one is now governed by section uh, 51 subsection 3. Then that one is talking about, that is section 51 subsection 3 of the Criminal Law Amendment Act uh, 51, uh, rather uh, 105 of 1997. It actually allows me as an attorney now to can present substantial and compelling reasons. Um, in layman's term, if I can try to simplify what this substantial and compelling reason this phrase what it means mm. um, it, meaning that I have to now come up with some convincing reasons for the court to can now uh, for me to can say to the court please uh, your worship can do not impose a minimum sentence of 15 years direct in imprisonment as it is legislated mm. now uh, of course there is a case law to that effect as an attorney I have to go and make a research I have to come up with decided cases to say Based on on, the, on this case law or, or these decided cases, usually it would be high court decision cases, SC decisions, questionable uh, court decisions. I would say that based on these decisions, I am of the view that the court uh, cannot impose such a sentence. If it means I have to just sorry, okay. if it means I have to postpone the case for me to go to go and prepare or get further information to consult with the client or to consult with the family of the. Client, I will have to do that in order to can get these uh, factors so that I can convince the court. Remember, if I don't do that, the client stands a chance of going to prison for at least 15 years if I'm not good enough or if I'm not putting a convincing argument before the court. So it is always my duty to can do that. But now typically what would, the, what would be the consideration that would allow the court to deviate from the minimum sentence? 
Um, factors such as uh, uh, the following, the fact that let's say I will always go back to uh, this example that I have made of murder. Let's say a client is a first-time offender. Okay. He has not been on the wrong side of the law previously. Mm. Uh, maybe he had been in prison for some time. Uh, maybe for a waiting trial. You mean? Yes. Okay. Yes, a waiting trial before the matter could be finalized. Mm. Uh, maybe for a, a year or more then uh, this perhaps if maybe he's uh, on bail or he was on bail i would state the fact that maybe this person is a breadwinner he has got a family to support if he's going to prison for such a long period the family will, will suffer etc etc mm. so basically i'll be putting before the court the personal circumstances which actually favor the client in most cases you'll find that um in a case of murder it happened at a tavern um alcohol played a role etc etc so they are always various factors depending on each particular case which one would can always present before court and say these are the factors your worship please consider them these are regarded as uh, comp- I, I don't have to come up with extraordinary circumstances as i've indicated earlier on the case law is clear on that um i always have to come up with convincing reasons not really extraordinary very circumstances very yes okay. and to but, speak very very passionately for minimum sentences um who do they actually serve is it the accused what about the families who are affected by the crime um the states who exactly do these minimum sentences serve they actually serve parties who are affected by by the crime itself for instance when the court sentences and i choose for a case of murder, they will, it will always indicate that it is going to take into account three factors, interests of the community, the personal circumstances of the accused, the interest of the victim, uh, or the, victims. The gravity of the crime. The gravity <laughs> of the crime, yes. Those are the factors which are always uh, taken into account. So at the end of the day, it, it, it affects all the parties who have been affected. Um, uh, uh, that is how I could actually mm. answer your, your question. So you wouldn't say that there's any um, rights in the Bill of Rights um, that might be in vi- violated against because of minimum sentences you don't you don't see it that way uh, uh, look um uh, in that regard i would say of course because remember let's say in a case of murder a person is sentenced to 15 years direct imprisonment obviously the freedom of uh, movement comes to the fore because now he's no longer going to have any freedom of movement he's inside in custody freedom of expression freedom of speech he has to whatever he wants to express he or she can do it through myself or the family so such uh rights get affected but let's not forget the fact that uh section 36 of the constitution act one of eight uh of 1996 also has quite a limitation uh, in whatever rights that we are having so at the end of the day one has to consider all the factors consider the law in general we cannot say because now this person has got these rights what about the rights of the victim what about the rights of the society or the community what about the, the limitation as entrenched by section 36 of the constitution all right so now then now, now, now tell me um you deal with the regional court, okay, which is perhaps the more senior court of the lower courts. Eh? Yes. Above that, you have the high court and the rest of them. Eh? And uh, you will find, let's, let's say that a person is now up for life sentence. They've now been convicted. They're going to go, um, they're potentially facing a life sentence. What will happen? Will that matter still be heard in the regional court for sentencing? Will it be referred? Or if they are sentenced to life in the in the regional court, let's assume they are for now, what happens after that? Is the regional court okay? Is that where it stops? Is there an appeal process? Automatically they kick? What happens? Thanks, sir. It's a very serious one, that one. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. I agree with you, yeah. sir. Now, what happens is that, um, maybe I omitted to actually highlight something. The Criminal Law Amendment Act, as I've indicated, um, 105 of 1977, mm-hmm. um, came into operation in May 1998. And since then, it, from time to time, it has been amended. Um, initially, only the high court or the high courts had jurisdiction to can impose life imprisonment. Then, as time went by, then the, the, this actually uh, uh, raised some criticism. Yeah. Because now, before that, what would happen is that the lower court being the regional court would for example, uh, convict in, in layman's term, meaning say. that find someone guilty. guilty yeah. Yes, but they would not be able to exactly. Then they would transfer the matter to high court for sentencing. Then 
the legislation or the legislature felt that it is necessary now to amend this criminal law amendment act 105 of 1997 the very same section 51 it was amended to the effect that um the lower courts that is the regional courts now were given jurisdiction now to can impose life sentences in respect of cases such as rape your murder and this uh, amendment now was effected on the criminal law amendment act 38 of 2007 so from that period since it came into operation from 2007 the regional courts now have got jurisdiction now to can impose life imprisonment on cases such as murder and rape as i've indicated if um, a, a, a murder has been planned or premeditated life imprisonment is applicable if a rape of a child a child has been raped or a victim has been raped by uh, more than one or two perpetrators such cases um a warrant that life imprisonment be imposed. Mm. So regional courts now have jurisdiction to can impose life imprisonment since the year 2007. But now, does is it true that an automatic review kicks in once the regional court uh, uh, um, convicts you and sentences you to life? Does an automatic appeal or an automatic uh, review kick in at that stage? That is uh, an automatic appeal. Okay. But then on, on that aspect, maybe I just need to realize something. Even though it is automatic, it does not necessarily mean that a person who has been found guilty can just fold their arms and say, okay, because it is automatic, uh, then I cannot do anything. Me as an attorney from Legal Aid South Africa, I will always have to advise a client and perhaps uh, help him in preparing the documents because there are some documents that there is a, a, a judgment convenience of appeal that we have to prepare which must be served and filed in the regional court as well as in the high court because if you do not do that um, then nothing is going to happen to the case because immediately when I file those documents then the record will be transcribed then uh, a process can start then the client can uh, uh, the, the client's matter can be taken to high court then the, the, the matter will be attended to mm. that is what it means by this automatic leave to appeal definitely well if you are tuned in right now we are listening and you are hearing the voice of Mr. Phineas Mukwena who is an attorney at Legal Aid South Africa and he's giving us pearls of wisdom on minimum sentencing. We need to conclude the conversation right now but before we do, um, Mr. Mukwena minimum sentences sometimes give off the impression that something is being done about crime. What is your take on that? Is something being done about crime really because of minimum sentences or is it just an impression? I strongly believe that something is, is being done about crime. Uh, the fact that the legislature felt it fit or deemed it fit to can come up with this uh, law in 1997 and from time to time it has been uh, amended. That is why it amended the, the section 51 to can now um, include the lower costs to can actually impose life imprisonments because it realized that, you know what, this crime kept on moving up and up, especially the crime of uh, uh, rape and murder. That is why it decided that, no, you know what, even the lower court, being the magistrate court, can now have jurisdiction to can actually uh, impose uh, a, a higher sentence. We have actually made a, a, an example of Western Cape when you, you, you spoke earlier on, mm. whereby uh, it, it is a well-known fact uh, that uh, the crime uh, of murder is very, very high yeah, yeah, very uh, in, in that province. Yeah. Um, so it's I, higher than the national average. I no, no, that's true. <laughs> I, I, I really, be, I believe so because yeah, knows, on, yeah. on average, they tell us that per day, so, so many people get killed in that yeah. province. Yeah. So I agree with you. So I, I believe. Um, as time goes on, even in other offences, if the legislature is of the view that no, there has to be a need to uh, to can amend this criminal law amendment in order to impose a higher sentence or higher sentences than the ones that are being imposed even now, I believe this is still going, going to, is still going to do so. Hence, I believe that indeed we are on the right track. So the future here is only going to grow and grow exactly. and grow. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, look, at the end of the day, it is the duty of the legislature to ensure that the committee is is, is protected mm. and the only way to can protect it is by actually trying to close whatever loopholes are there in 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 in, in the in the law remember just to wrap up remember uh, for instance in a case of murder a person is sentenced to 15 years direct in, uh, direct imprisonment they get parole after having served 15 50 percent of that uh, time period more and more uh, more often people reoffend 
about 50% of the people that we represent uh, in the regional court, you'll find that they've reoffended, they've got a previous conviction that is a layman's term, um, criminal record. So, um, taking into account such factors, one is inclined to believe that the legislature will sit down and say that, you know what, uh, maybe this 15 years, as I've made an example of uh, Western Cape, where people just die and uh, in an abnormal manner you'll find that as time goes on then they may feel that okay you know what we have to uh, amend this uh, piece of legislation okay. in order to close such loopholes interesting yeah, one right. well uh, let's let's hear from you uh, the listener do you agree with mr phineas mukwena here that minimum sentences are a good way of fighting crime hi um i'm anonymous i'm studying film and tv so i think i think there should be like a standard sentence for everyone so if you murdered someone for example you should have i don't know maybe 25 years in prison and it shouldn't matter like what type of murder it was and if you rape someone then it should be i don't know 35 years so i think there should be just like an umbrella um sentence for people i think that's fair for everyone my view on whether um, minimum sentences are reducing, helping to reduce crime or not is that um, for certain things like certain acts, I think that um, the minimum sentences don't do enough because uh, like, you know, when someone uh, gets raped and they get a minimum sentence of like, you know, 10 years instead of, you know, what they should be getting. I don't think that that's obviously going to minimize crime because like with anything in, 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 in life, um, if you if you give someone a lesser punishment than what they deserve, they're not going to learn their lesson the way that they would have. So it's not going to help prevent crime. It's going to probably help perpetuate it, I think, yeah. My view on this question is that, yes, minimum sentences do perpetuate crime because uh, for people who have not been in prison yet and people who have not been able to, who have not committed crimes yet and are considering it, it makes it a bit more appealing because the consequences aren't that harsh. And I think that... Even though I say so, it's important to also mention the fact that just the idea of putting someone in prison for committing a crime as a way to stop um, crime from occurring is not much, is not really effective. So even if you give a minimum wage, a minimum your sentence, and also like um, be extremely harsh, it still won't affect the psyche of that person. Um, I think that the minimum sentence will also perpetuate crime. Because I think different crimes have different circumstances that are attached to them. Some are extenuating circumstances which actually don't define the crime well. And therefore, some rape cases, especially rape cases, will be different compared to other rape cases where they deserve a higher sentence. Therefore, I think um, minimum sentences actually perpetuate crime and do not help crime. minimum sentences, umtu uyazibanga buzoseva i sentence encinci and nabanye in the society bayazibanga ba umtu okomithe that crime uzohlala ixesha encinci so evaluate nje like abantu bazoyenza ngeqeshe like bazohlela beyenza so i would say mna ayizuyehlisa i crime ngenxa yoba useva ixesha encinci nje and we're back we were listening to uh, law focus on uh, Val, 88.1. Uh, we're now going to speak to Professor Stephen Tucson, a law professor at the University of the Witwatersrand. Hello, Professor. Good evening. How are you, Professor? Are you well? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. We thank you so much for joining us this evening, right here on Law Focus. Good. Yeah, well, our, our topic today is a minimum sentencing. Um, so, you know, we'd like to just have a little bit of a, uh, a discussion about that. Um, when looking at minimum sentencing, you know, um, uh, normally sentencing would be a judicial sort of uh, prerogative. But the minimum sentencing, well, you know, it's the, it's the Criminal Amendment Act, but we call it the Minimum Sentencing Act, um, is, is, a, is, a, is a parliamentary thing. Is, is, do, do you see an interference between the two? Or is it a complementary relationship between the judiciary's prerogative and the uh, and Parliament's sort of stipulation? So what you're referring to is the separation of powers doctrine. Yes. It says that it's the legislature's job to make the laws and it's the court's function to apply the laws. And one of those prerogatives, as you use the word, 
of the court is to decide on an appropriate sentence. Yes, that's that's for yeah. an offender. That's right. <clears throat> and so typically, it would be inappropriate for the legislature to set hard, uh, hard minimum sentences in which there is absolutely no wiggle room. Yeah. So the, it's not called the Minimum Sentencing Act; it's called the Criminal Law Amendment Act, which enacted the minimum sentences in Section Fifty One. Hmm. And there was a constitutional court challenge to the section making that exact argument. And the court found that it was appropriate for the legislature to give guidance to the courts of what the community feels is an appropriate sentence for very serious crimes, provided the sentence is rational and reasonable and it follows the usual sentencing guidelines, such as, as you mentioned, the circumstances of the accused, the individual, you know, how young or old they are, or how many times they've previously committed offences. And we need to look at the seriousness of the particular offence and so on. So what they did to save the the statute from uh, unconstitutionality was to allow the court a discretion by saying that it must impose these minimum sentences unless there are substantial and compelling circumstances to oppose, impose a lesser sentence. Hmm. And, that, and the constitutional court found that that saved the section from unconstitutionality because it still vested a discretion in the court's to impose an appropriate sentence. All right. Okay. Okay, that's good. Uh, And now, we know that an offender will ordinarily not serve a full sentence. Say he's sentenced to 15 years. It's unlikely that he'll do a full 15 years. There may be other factors, parole and so on, which, um, which kick into it. What effect is this, for instance, how does it interplay with parole or other factors which can impact on sentencing. So how does minimum sentencing have an effect on those? Alright, so the principle is that the court is obliged to impose the minimum sentence. And so some examples are for aggravated murder, which is particularly awful murder where you, you rape someone and then murder them or you kill a cop or uh, you uh, armed robbery with a firearm and you murder someone. It's prescribed that the penalty is life imprisonment. So the, the minimum that a person sentenced to life imprisonment must serve is 25 years before he becomes eligible for parole. So they can't be eligible for parole before 25 years. There are certain exceptions, and I must just mention that the law, the parole law is very complicated. It's complicated by the fact that there's been amendments over the years, and so prisoners who are sentenced in one decade get different rules for parole than prisoners who are sentenced later and recently. So you can never make a general rule about a particular prisoner because it depends when you are sentenced. But basically, life imprisonment, the offender needs to serve a minimum of 25 years before he's eligible for, for parole. But if they are over 65 years and if they have served at least 15 years, they could be eligible. And so your example of 15 years for, say, uh, robbery um the general rule is at least um half of the sentence must be served before it can be eligible for parole so yes parole does have an effect in that it does typically reduce the actual sentence that the accused must serve all right Okay. And then, um, so, for in in, 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 a, in another example, where um, often an offender will be convicted of multiple offences for one action, say murder, a possession of illegal firearm, possession of an uh, of illegal ammunition, and the, let's say the minimum sentence then applies uh, of fifteen years, would he be sentenced in addition to um, the the murder? would his sentence for the possession of the illegal firearm and ammunitions, would that typically be placed on top? Or would that now just form part of the minimum, you know, the time that he serves under the murder? Because, I mean, the minimum sentence is is in relation to the murder, not to the other two offences. So basically what your question is asking is if he's uh, if there's a minimum sentence or mandatory sentence of 15 years for murder, 15 years for uh, armed robbery must yeah. he serve 30 years or 15 years and that depends and it depends entirely on the judge and the discretion of the judge it's the judge's prerogative to decide whether these sentences are to run 
consecutively, which means one after the other, which is a total of 30 years, or concurrently, which means they both begin at the same time and they run together, which means he will serve 15 years. So as provide, he's complying with the act if he sentences the person to the minimum sentence, but it's his decision whether they run concurrently or consecutively. Right, and do you think do you think that it was important for South Africa to actually introduce minimum sentences? Uh, does it help curb crime? There is a very interesting speech by Mr. Justice Edwin Cameron, who's a constitutional court judge. Uh, he gave a speech at a university where it's really it's worth quoting. His his opinion is minimum sentences are poorly thought out misdirected, hugely costly, and above all, ineffective way of punishing criminals. They have a pernicious effect on our correctional system, the offenders in it, and most of all us, the society. They offer us a false promise, the belief that we are actually doing something about crime and we are not. This false belief lets those who are responsible, that's the government, for effectively dealing with crime off the hook. And I can only agree with Mr. Justice Cameron. There was an explosion of crime in the new democracy in 1994. Government was hard-pressed to be seen to be doing something. There was already a commission looking at how to deal with sentencing. Parliament didn't have the benefit of the results of this commission, and they just imposed our minimum sentencing legislation. And it just does not work on any level. There are levels of rehabilitation. Minimum sentences do not rehabilitate people, it makes them worse. Uh, but there's, a, there's an argument that if you keep them out of the system for long enough, they become old and weak and they won't be so dangerous anymore. Mm. But uh, that there's some justification for that, but it's just, if you look at every single measure of effective sentencing policy, they do not work. Um, uh, Prof, just to play perhaps devil's advocate a little here, isn't it just as important that justice be done as justice be seen to be done? Isn't that part of the reasoning that if I'm, uh, if I commit this crime and then if I'm caught, I mean, that's a big if, um, uh, that I will, I may go to jail for the rest of my life. And that in, and that sort of deterrent factor was a consideration when coming up with the legislation. Don't you think? The research has shown that no one contemplating serious crime considers, oh, if I do this, I'll get life or 15 years minimum. I better think twice about it. Uh, it's, it's been demonstrated over and over again that some of them don't even know what sentences they face for their conduct. Mm. Plus, there's the considered crime approach, which says that the people consider their crimes before they commit them. And it's just demonstrated that it does not happen. So it has no effect insofar as deterrence. Uh, if anything, it scares you and I, law-abiding citizens, bosh, yeah. uh, better keep my nose clean. You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could go to jail for a long time, but no. So, you know, I don't want to pull rank on you, but it, it demis- the research seems to suggest that's not an argument. All right. And, you know, in South Africa does have a, a very serious crime problem, uh, and perhaps one of the... One of the arguments would be, but if we have a minimum sentencing uh, uh, provisions, that we actually aren't dealing with the root cause. We're actually only dealing uh, with the people that we can catch, uh, because it only applies once the person's caught. The more important um, consideration would be apprehending them and then bringing them to trial and being able to prepare for trial correctly to, in order to facilitate a good you know, uh, well, a uh, successful prosecution and that our resources should be focused there and not at the tail end of it. What would you say about that? I can only agree with you. We have a very, very low enforcement rate and the prospects, I think the most effective deterrent is the certainty of being caught and prosecuted and punished. And um, I think most criminals are thinking it's worth the candle to take the system on uh, because of uh, over under-resourced prosecution services, under-resourced policemen, incompetence, uh, corruption, and all sorts of issues. And so I can only agree with you. Mm. So, 
if you do agree with that thought, then what do you think should come in if minimum sentences don't work? What really is it that we that we can use um, as a country to to fight and curb crime? <clears throat> I can only again quote Judge Edwin Cameron, who says that we need to build our criminal justice systems. We need to train detectives and police personnel. We need to improve our blood analysis. Do you know that if you get caught for drunken driving, it could take 10 years for your blood sample to be analyzed? Mm-hmm. There are so many back samples at the laboratories that they just cannot possibly get to them. And so that is the kind of thing that Judge Cameron is talking about. We need to beef up the system. There should be no shortcuts in the criminal justice system. We need to preserve people's dignity and justice must be must follow. Um, must devote resources to proper standards of care, proper trained prosecutors. The suggestion is that we should scrap minimum sentences for low-level, non-violent, non-serious crimes. It's ridiculous. There was an experiment for minimum sentence for Dacha, which just was a terrible experiment. Mm. There should be community service sentences. Um, there should be uh, the, uh, consultation with the victims and uh, restorative justice should be uh, um, considered. We need to replace the man- mandatory sentencing with the sentencing council, develop good research-based sentencing guidelines. Um, yeah. Um, it's it's a huge topic. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. No, that that definitely is interesting. It sounds very academic, but hopefully the academia and the practice can be put together so that we can actually have a proper developmental system within the criminal uh, system of South Africa. Good. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> thank you. Yes, um, Professor. No, thank you very much. No, no, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, so the professor's views there are uh, perhaps a little bit different to uh, many other people's. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can only attest to what I've seen in court and, and uh, the reaction of a client who receives a minimum sentence of 15 Tell us what's years. what's it like. Or, uh, you know, the gallery and his family and those around him. It is a devastating uh, uh, um, sentence to get. And I can tell you, anyone walking out of that uh, courtroom will not dare commit that crime. I can tell you that. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, he does make some very good points as well that... uh, um, it's a lot more than just uh, sentencing, which we need to to um, to uh, to curb crime. Mm. Um, but it is important that justice seem to be done. We'll take a short ad break, and when we come back, we will continue to wrap up. Law focus point point of information, and we're back at law focus. Um, on BioFM eight point one, Mr. McGuinness is back with us. I just wanted to ask you um, when you. When you see the minimum sentencing being implemented, what impact have you seen it having, say, on the uh, the victim of the crime and their families, perhaps if the victim is deceased, and perhaps even the vic- the, the families of the accused? What's the impact that you see on it? Um, firstly, with the family of with the victim, mm. as you have said, maybe in a case of murder where the family would have lost a loved one. Um, definitely, uh, when a person is sentenced to, for instance, 15 years direct imprisonment, then at least they know for a fact that for seven years and a half or so, they will not be, they cannot see that person for some years. At least that gives them an opportunity to can heal, you know. Um, and maybe I also had to add, the, the, the law allows the family of the victim to can actually have a say when a person has to be given a parole. Uh, in most cases, the court will always explain to them that, look, um, when this person has to be given a parole, you you you'll have to be contacted. Um, if not, you'll have to check with the correctional services from time to time. If you don't want this person to be released on parole, it is all right. But you'll have to state your reasons, whatever yes. um, the processes that are being done by the, mm. co- the correctional services. And those services. submissions are taken into consideration. Definitely, they're, they're not binding on the parole. Of board, course, but they're taken into. Of course, they are taken into consideration. Um, of course, uh, to. Uh, 
with the family of the uh, client they are choose, you know, uh, because I'm I'm always for their choose. Yes. I I always feel pity. And we all. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel pity when um, a person goes to prison for a period of fifteen years, irrespective of the fact that they will get a parole or not. What about which crime they commit? So doesn't that matter, Ish? Look, uh, remember when I am in court, I've got a professional duty to uh, represent my client and not only to do so but to do so to the best of my ability mm -hmm. to render service excellence mm -hmm. um, when a person is convicted of whatever offense for that matter um, it, it doesn't go down well with me because it, it, <laughs> to me that feels as if I didn't do didn't enough do, yeah. you know um, so I would always have to uh, speak to the family of the accused you know try to tell them like okay you know what we can always uh, appeal the matter if the appeal fails we can always petition and see if we cannot get a, a lesser sentence etc etc et uh, but then in most cases uh, because you'll find that the accused has a family he was a breadwinner or even if he's not a breadwinner but then he was providing feed for the children or for the wife or certain members of the family so you'll find that in most cases it has got a negative in e effect that is the sentence be it to the accused and or to the deceased family mm, mm, yes mm. oh wow okay i mean it's always um important to 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 remember that there are the human factors behind these stories and once they come out i don't know how involved you are with uh, offenders after they come out of prison but in your experience what is the effect not 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 necessarily for uh, someone who's been given a minimum sentence but anyone who's gone to prison what is the effect are they reformed when they come back professor tucson uh, emphasizes the fact that I suppose many of them, particularly long-term prisoners, would come back and be now hardened criminals and not be rehabilitated at all. In your experience, how do people come out of prison and what are they like when they come out of prison? Does it perform the function of rehabilitation? Um, well, on few occasions, I would represent a client who has been convicted you know um maybe you'll find out i was representing this person five years uh, down the line then all of a sudden he's before court again well it, it does not really uh, uh happen uh, very very often it happens once in a while mm -hmm. so I, I i believe even though of course we we can differ in so far as this aspect is concerned i, I believe to a certain extent uh, in view of the fact that they don't always come before uh, that particular court that I'm working in or at. So I have the impression that maybe there's a sort of rehabilitation of uh, some sort. Uh, but then another aspect though that one has to deal with and cannot ignore is the fact that uh, our prison, our prisons rather, are overcrowded. I think you did allude to that yeah. um, effect when we started um, uh, this program. Our, our prisons are overcrowded. As a result, one is inclined to believe that uh, there is no proper rehabilitation and or reformation in prison mm -hmm. because I don't think the prison authorities have got enough opportunity to can attend to them and see if they are properly rehabilitated. So we cannot lose sight of that fact. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, we are inclined to believe that there are some programs because from time to time there will be probation officers who will come to court especially with these uh, serious offenses mm -hmm. if a person has been sentenced it will be sentenced to life imprisonment in murder case premeditated or rape of a minor yes. or a child then we will always get a pre-sentence report so the probation officer usually someone who will come from is a social worker coming from the correctional services he will prepare this report uh, 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 a report um, so, to a certain extent, we, we those reports uh, do help in order to assist uh, uh, or to work into the re rehabilitation or the reformation of an offender. Okay. Yeah. okay, interesting. I find it to be a very technical topic. I don't know if Tepo has any final words before we close. Well, I mean, only to conclude yeah. um, that crime is very rife in our country and that I suppose one has to treat like cases uh, the same. And the purpose of the Act, uh, the, um, the, the, the amendment and the provisions is to try and to 
um, standardize the treatment of particular crimes. So if you commit a category of a crime which falls into this category, whether it is now a rape or it's a murder, this type of murder, this type of robbery, we then say, give us a reason. The court then says, give us a reason why you shouldn't go to jail for 10 years or for 15 years or for 20 years or life, whatever the case may be. And that gives us a measure by which me and you standing on the street can measure justice and say, if you commit this offense, you deserve to go to jail for 15 years, for 10 years, for however much, however much, however long it is. And from that point of view, it's reassuring. Of course, Professor Tucson has mentioned all of its shortfalls, which are valid. But mm -hmm. I think it is still something that is required, particularly in the context of South Africa, and one that doesn't have all of the resources, doesn't have a judiciary or a justice system that is perfectly working and smooth operating system. Even if we have some of our flaws in, in the minimum sentencing, we can still use it to our benefit, perhaps, to remove the elements of society which we don't deem fit to be with us, at least for a period of time. So that would be my contribution. Even with its flaws, I think it has a use and it can be implemented correctly and it does have some kind of benefit to society at large. Absolutely. Okay, that is the beauty of having legal experts on the show as well as having different uh, views because then we all get educated and we can make an informed decision on what aspects of the show we are going to agree with and we will not agree with. But for now, I would like to thank you very much, Mr. Phineas Mukwena from Legal Aid for joining us. You were excellent. You gave us um, all your expert wisdom and we appreciate you being on the show this evening here on Law Focus. Thank you so much for the opportunity and thank you so much uh, from several uh, from Legal Aid. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And of course, we also had our VIT academic, Mr. <laughs> uh, the brother, Professor Stephen uh, Chuson, who also joined us this evening to speak to us on minimum sentences, and we'd like to also send out our gratitude to him. We do have podcasts. Iono.fm is where you can go if you would like to catch any of our other shows. Uh, but you can always continue the conversation. Remember, it's at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus for any other additional input that you might have. Up next is the total package with Caesar the MC, DLXL, as well as Celeste King. From our producer Simbahonde, our technical producer Gudrano Sirame, our law focus researchers Sise Tuzingelwa, Nelka Mamate, Khalaletsang, Kami, Sipati, Makafani, Tepo Mihapi, and myself, Millicent Ndiweni. Thank you for tuning into Law Focus tonight. Good, Good night. Law Focus on Balfang 88.1. Point of Information. Law Focus Podcast.